Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. Yo, yo, yo. Hello, good morning, afternoon, whatever we good are. Good morning, Viet COVID. What was that, <laughs> There's going to be a good morning, COVID. That's going to be our uh, good morning, Vietnam. Remember that? Huh? Good Rest in peace. morning, COVID. Rest in peace, Robin Williams. A oh, true yeah. legend. Oh, absolutely. A troubled legend. Very Sad. troubled man, but man, oh, it's so funny. Who knows what went on in poor that guy's poor head? Every, some people knew. But anyways, good morning, Vietnam. So we're like, uh, panic, come panic with Howie. <laughs> Another update. Fantastic. Yeah, Passover starts today. What do you know, anything about Passover? I just know that all of Norway has all of Easter off. We're not very religious country, but they love to take the all of... Well, you pray to the God of oil. That's the only one, and Odin and Thor, as you remember. <laughs> Thor. Right, give me a fact, Norwegian fact, factoid. How many murders a year in Oslo? I have no idea. Not many. Not many? No. Mostly car fires. They like to set people's cars on fire. I don't know what the deal is. All right. Norvee. Norvee. Who's your biggest enemy? Sweden? Oh, Sweden, of course. Yeah. Friendly. Very friendly rivalry. Friendly fire. Oh, yeah. We'll have the same jokes about each other. Do you think, you think uh, capital of Sweden is? Stockholm, usually. Nicer than Oslo? Oh, yeah. And if I asked somebody in, in in Sweden, they would probably say that Stockholm is nicer too. No, it's a, <laughs> Stockholm is a beautiful city. I've been. I'm dying Copenhagen, to go. Copenhagen too. Oslo is nice, but it's eh. yeah. All compared. right, we have Trend Griffin on today. I've never had. We're friends on Twitter for years. Uh, big brain, uh, director at Microsoft for I don't know a hundred years, and um, dispels a lot of financial wisdom. No, he's not. He doesn't get into the fray of FinTwit per se. Just high level uh, venture capitalist, private equity steward of uh, a massive ship. You know, part of stewarding a massive ship at Microsoft all these years. And it was nice enough when I DM'd him to say, "Yeah, I'd love to chat." I, you know, so pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So I don't know him, but I know him. So let's see if I can start a fight. It's like Larry David. Let's see how fast we insult him. <laughs> Knowing you, that shouldn't take Annie that long. Duke, I think, played along pretty well. She, My wife liked the she interview. She tackled you really well, I must yeah, say. Yeah, she just didn't listen. No. She just had a message to deliver, and <laughs> yeah. she didn't care what the question I was listening. She, I don't think she answered any of my questions. She's she just polished. had a message to deliver. She should try politics. Yeah. Ellen gave it a thumbs up because she said it didn't interfere. So I felt like that was good because people who would like the markets liked it, and my wife liked it for different mm -hmm. reasons. Right. So I think the common denominator is I shut up. <laughs> Which I take no offense to. Wouldn't I'm not a professional that if you shut up. Yeah, it's just hard the timing. Like I can tell that I'm over talking people, and I just don't think. I think if you have the face to face, you can it is a little pick easier. up on the cues and not talk over them. A little easier. Yeah. So I mean, Howard Stern's been doing this forever. I've been doing this fucking forty episodes. So chill the fuck out, enemies. <laughs> this is not my job. Okay, we're gonna get Trent on the phone. Hello. There he is. Here hello. we are. Hello, sir. 
How are you? Do I have to call you sir or Trent or one of my Mr. Griffin? What, what's the Just best way? Trent. <laughs> Just Trent. Trent. It's a great name. Is that what nationality is that? Well, my, my people came down from Norway and they went to England and they didn't leave. Norski. Hey there. Knut is my partner in crime here. He's a Norwegian. And every show I say, give me a fun fact about Norway. He's run out of facts. It's three. We've had three fresh, three facts. He hasn't had come up with three facts yet. <laughs> you probably have, he grew up there. You probably know more about Norway than he does. As, as you can tell, we don't prep for this. Yeah. The, uh, I appreciate you coming on. Pan, you are on panic with friends. And, there we go. Uh, I couldn't, it's time to talk to someone. You know, we've been talking to a lot of smart friends and you have just such a more unique macro big picture, the way you write and think at 25 IQ. So if you could just spend some time doing a background for people and stock Twitch audience and Twitter audience. So the key experiment with me mm -hmm. um, started when Bill Gurley and Bruce Dunleavy were at Benchmark said, hey, Trent, you should be on Twitter. It's perfect for you. How did they know you? And, just from Microsoft? Uh, I had been uh, co-investing with them when I worked for a guy named Craig McCaw, who was a pioneer in the cellular industry. And so it was 1999. Bill Gurley had just come to Benchmark. And, you know, uh, we invested together for a number of years through the through the dot-com boom and then the, the end of it. But I sort of learned the venture business from them, but I became friends with them for life. Uh -huh. But they said, hey, you should be on Twitter. And the thing that's interesting about me is um, – I'm on Twitter, but I'm not selling anything. Right. And I'm kind of an experiment. And so the interesting bit is if you put a guy on Twitter who has a day job for, you know, really big company and doing software and all that, but he gets on and he talks about other topics. And, and so I'm not selling anything. So it's unusual in that I can just say exactly what I feel. And the only thing I can't do is I can't talk about my day job. Yes. But I can talk about lots of things and then I'm not. I'm not talking my book, which makes me sort of interesting and a little different. So, and I'm also, I'm old enough to have many scars and have seen many people pee on the electric fence. And so I have some stories to tell, but also some lessons. Can't wait. Yeah. And this I've is learned. about panic with friends. So I've got a young audience at stock twits who are just ravenous. You know, everybody judges traders or investors saying they're going to get their asses kicked. And I'm like, my vision has always been, okay, why is it not their right? You know, we everybody talks about freedom of speech and freedom of, uh, you can carry a fucking firearm. And all of a sudden, everybody's so upset that people will pay up 700 times earnings for Tesla. Seems a lot less dangerous than a gun and sugar. And so that's kind of been my philosophy. And so my audience, I think our audience at StockTwits really appreciates talking to smart people. Now we're in a panic. And, and so I wanted to put the show together with 40, you know, it's now over 40 people. And I think, uh, so I really appreciate you just answering the DM and, uh, and, and being here. Because your day job is, is, is Microsoft full-time? Full-time, yeah. And so I spend my days reading about Kubernetes and, and, Wi-Fi 6 and software stacks and, you know, microservices, all things uh, software. And But my whole career has been about sort of understanding many things because the world is complex. And in order to understand your limited area of focus uh, at any given time, you have to have Charlie Munger's view. You have to understand a lot of mental models in a, in a breath way. Yeah. And so you got to stay aware of things. And the fun thing on Twitter... And in, in the world, 
is you can become an expert on anything. Bill Gurley had this great point recently in a speech he gave at University of Texas where he basically said, look, pick an area and become the best in the world at it. Unbelievable. You've never it. had you more tools, tools to do that. The tools are there. It's free. Yeah. Free. And, and, and it's never been quite like this. You could do it before, but it was harder. Yeah. Right? It was almost... And then the other thing is when you've been through something like .com, like I've been through 74, 80, 90, 2001, oh, yeah. 2008. So I've seen this before, but it's never been like this. But at least I've been through things like this. Yeah. And you realize a barbell portfolio works pretty good. You can overcomplicate and, it, but it sure does, you know? Yeah. And so some people weigh in on the half of their, their portfolio on the risk spectrum. Like you get some young trader who's re- listening to this. You know, if you have some treasuries on the other side, you know, it's like life gets so much better <laughs> if if you have financial independence, regardless of what you're doing with your with the risk side of your portfolio. It's one so side of your so true. I got a lot to ask you. So it's like with my son who's 20 and he dropped out. And when I see him fighting with my wife, I'm like, this is always about your independence. So that you are in control of that independence in a world that we live in today. And if you want to get off the schneid, it's in your hands, you know, and when you talk to them like that, they look, they start to listen, right? If you, if you, you know, the barbell approach with T-bills, I had Mark Mullen on and he was talking about funk or whatever they call T-bills. And when he finally learned about T-bills, his life became, first he was laughing about it. And now it's become his like, uh, you know, whatever he calls T-bills, I forget the word he called them. Uh, but it's like, once he discovered them and once he discovered barbell, life becomes a little easier as an investor. Yeah. One of the things the great experience of my life was 99 when things were absolutely crazy with FOMO. And I just didn't know what was, what was real. And people were too wealthy. My friends were too wealthy. We were all, you know, it was nuts. I agree. And I said, I got to get grounded here. And so I went out on a boat and, and I charted a skipper and for a week I did nothing but read Buffett. But I'm, I found this guy Munger and I said, Whoa, this guy. Yeah. I like this thing. And basically what it was saying was in his life, his desire to have money was not to have things, but to have independence. Yep. And once you have that plug of stuff on the, the safe side of your barbell, you can do anything. And then on the other half, it's house money. And and for me, the greatest game in the world is business. And it's not really a game. It's really a complex system. And it's the most interesting thing in the world to me. Mm-hmm. And I love I love doing that, but I love doing it knowing, hey, you know, I've got this other side of the barbell and it's all good no matter what happens. Yeah. Yeah. It helps you think more clearly too. If you're, if you're not worried about making your mortgage, you know, you, you think more clearly. If you're worried about your mortgage, you don't think clearly. And that's what we're seeing. This is the first, this, I think what makes this panic different than the ones you're talking about. Like I I think at best my audience will remember 99. Otherwise we're really dating ourselves, you and I, but um, there was a panic on the upside, just as bad as the downside, meaning how am I, am I dumb that my friends are that rich now? Uh, and that was just as hard as the downside, no? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the there's the old joke, you know, you and I love to tell jokes, but, you know, it is the, the definition or the worst kind of unhappiness is to be, you know, have your brother-in-law get like super rich, right? <laughs> yeah, and, luckily and, I have and an idiotic this brother-in-law. FOMO, so. you know, the FOMO at the time, it's, for someone who doesn't have the muscle memory, you can't believe the FOMO. And so what I did when I came back in, it was August of, of, of 99. And I said, I'm going to sell half of my telecom and internet stocks. Wow. And no, to put it into cash. And Charlie convinced me to do that. His principals did. 
and 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 then I said I'm gonna let the rest of it ride, right? And and with that half, never gonna be a burden to anybody in retirement. My kids are gonna go through college with my help, you know, all those sort of things. And then I'm asleep better. Like you know, everything was great. And then I still got some money out on the other half. But the point was, was that's when I went to a true barbell. And if you talk to a lot of VCs. They'll admit they got a lot of T bills. You they know? do. Like it's so funny. I'm on a group thread, and I had Mark Mullen on the show, and he was explaining Fred or whatever he calls it. The the first time someone explained to him why, you know, they were young brokers, and they were explaining the first time the, this old guy was explaining about T bills, and they were laughing at him, and he was like, "You'll know one day." And uh, we saw this. I mean, what was interesting about this panic was, and and no way panic was T bills also went in correlation with for a little while, at least for a week or so. And that rarely happens. So your, your safest bet went correlated with stocks for a little bit. And that was scary. Sure. But if you have enough over there, even if T bills go down by in, you know, there's still, it, there's, you should still have plenty. Oh no. You know, no. Like I, I had someone tell me one time, look, if you're ever worth a billion dollars, the first thing you should do is buy a hundred million dollars in T bills and never touch it. Yeah. Right. No, be Buffett's phrase is, you never want to go back to go, right? Yeah. And um, I don't want to go back to go, but I, I, I'm, I'm a, you know, you can do that at much smaller levels. You know, just paying off your mortgage. It's nice. Feels good. <laughs> and so, what got you into investing? How do you remember the first time you you invested? Yeah, you know, um, my grandfather was a was ran a family office for Norton Clapp, who's a, one of the warehouser heirs, and. And so I learned it from him and watching him. My dad was a doctor and he really didn't do investing, but, but watching my grandfather, I said, okay, this is, this is fun. This is what I want to do. And then the other thing is I got lucky, really lucky, which is my first men's mentor was Bill Gates senior. Like, you know, the lawyer, talk about uh, the, uh, Bill's dad, the lawyer, I just saw that show so good on Netflix. So he was truly your mentor in Seattle. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and this like, in terms of mentors, it's like being, getting on third base to start out, right? Got it. Such a giant of a man, literally, but also in terms of the way things and ethics. And then his wife, Mary, um, at the time, uh, Mary passed. Um, yeah, what a legend. Like that, the, the yeah, inside Bill Gates' like mind like was just- All kinds of boards. And the two of them were just like heroes. And so I got to pattern myself. Like, like, it was like a little duck, right? You know, it's yeah. like watching them like, ooh, ooh, this is, this is how you are on a board. And this is- how you do emotion, and this is how you deal with people, and and so the thing is that early luck, it compounds just like money, because it, because you have these early experiences. Other people say, "Oh, we're involved in this. Let's involve trend," and then the more times you do that, you get a feedback effect, and you become you become more lucky or successful. I think that success creates skill, and skill compounds with the luck. Ooh, that's like deep. they say, oh, Howard, you know, Howard, you know, let's get him involved in this because he's done that before. Yeah. And every time you do that, people say, oh, well, the trend, you know, he, he's thought about these kinds of things. He can get up to speed fast. Let's have him help us with X. So true. I call it social leverage, but you're calling it. I totally agree about the compounding of skills and a little bit of luck. So you were born in Seattle? Yeah, I was born in Seattle and uh, same my mom and Bill Gates' mom were, were the same year. So I was born in that 1955 year when there are so many people like, you know, that were born in that sort of window of time. Uh-huh. And, and it was a critical period because um, we missed the Vietnam War, so we weren't drafted. 
Got it. And then we were a little too old to be ruined by disco. I mean, disco wrecked a lot of lives. Yeah, and so we threaded the needle. You know, we, we if there was Instagram during disco, we'd all be fine. Right? Yeah. But also the microprocessor hit, like, I got the HP. 90? Well, I got the HP uh, programmable calculator when I was a junior in high school. And obviously Bill had more than that at the Lakeside Programmers Club. We were, went to different high schools. But, but he had more than that, and he was programming, and he had access to a timeshare and all that. But the processor was there, and so to be huh. born in 1955 is truly to be lucky. Missed the draft. Processor uh, came in just when we were, you know, getting rolling. You know, Microsoft formed in in '74 as a partnership, um, and you know that was that was the time to be born. And and even now, it's just I look back at the luck compounding again. To be yeah. born in '55 in America uh, was a great time to be born. Let me tell you. And I was 65, and I would say born in Toronto, but I'd say the same thing. I think 55, 65. I mean, it's the luck. I like I'm in that. You call it the one percent, but I'm in the, like the point zero 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 one percent. Toronto, nineteen sixty five. Like you said, no draft. Um, I mean, amazing. there were there were so many good things. And then for me, I grew up in an area where um, it was farming community, and now it's called Medina, where where a lot of people live. But the the two companies, Macaulay and Microsoft, about four miles away, I guess, was the crow flies or something like that. But to watch the two phenomenon, one. Michael Milken back that, you know, a roll up at Macaw, the Microsoft thing, you know, Bill Gates senior said to me once in, um, in 1980, he said, you know, people are telling me this company is going to be big someday. And I think they had like 15 employees yet. Come on. Then they just moved to Bellevue. You know, IBM was visiting that summer, 1980. The, the, the original contract for the DOS was drafted by a guy in two offices away from me, you know, just all those things. It's just like luck. I could have been born, you know, in the middle of God knows where. And and I was sort of right in the middle of it. And then you get swept into it and it compounds. And so I feel so fortunate. And, you know, when you do that, if you're not thinking I should be given back, then you're not paying attention. I'm so with it. I mean, this is great. The, the, so, so a little, I, mean, I don't think it's luck. So, so, so what did you study in school? Economics. Okay, so economics, and and I think we're seeing this with Bill. Like I don't know him, I never met him, but was always a fan. Even just even when I hated him, because you had to send your product to get the windows on your hard on your software product. So I was like, that was the moment that I thought, oh man, that's a monopoly. The um, you know, you'd ship your floppy disk to them to get the blessing, because otherwise CompUSA or Egghead wouldn't carry your product unless you had the flying windows on your box. So we went through all that, but now we're seeing how he was raised as a grown, as a senior, you know what I mean? Like it's coming through. Like when you see well, but, him speak. But, but to understand Bill, you really have to understand his parents. Right. Now we're seeing it because it, when we're he seeing how up, well he was brought up. When he grew up, his mom was all about community, about, about being heavily involved in the United Way, like my mom, but also becoming the president of that and going to United Way International and being on boards. And there were always fortunes lying around the house and his friend Evans had an interest in business. And so here was a guy who understands math, like double 800, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, understands math, understands business. His dad taught him about law, mm. right? So when it came time to draft that IBM agreement, he, he knew how to draft it, right? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> he just pants them. It was just unbelievable. And so he had all these background tools. And then he was precocious and and what you know, the, the more people he he collected around himself, amazing people. Huh. Frank Goddad and you know, Pete Higgins and Mike Slade and you know Mike Maples, you go down the list of all the people he oh, collected. Oh Mike Maples? I didn't know Mike was that old. Okay, so yeah. And but but one of the things that's key is really smart people know that they need help in other areas. Sure. And so Maples taught him about marketing and Goddad helped him with with finance and you got, you know, you just go down the list of, of people that he collected that he learned from and smart people understand circle of competence. And they say, okay, I don't understand this. I'm going to go find this person. I'm going to recruit him. And so who he recruited was amazing. And, and, and all these people complimented him. It's kind of like the other person I was around is Craig and Kaw. Right. And Craig is a very introverted, private, shy guy, actually, uh-huh. but very smart, but also, assembled a team of John Stanton, Rufus from Lumry, you know, Wayne Perry, you go down the list of, of Barksdale, um, you know, you go down the list of all these people who knew how to do things that Craig didn't. And so one of the things, the lessons there for young people is find your weaknesses, find your blank spots, and then find people who help you fill that in, who help you learn or can do things that you're not really good at. Yeah. Could be sales, could be finance, could be something like know your limitations. Yeah, that's why I love investing is like you only have to be good at one part of it as an investor. Yeah, the, the, the fun the funnest thing about investing for me is you can pick an area and you can mm-hmm. just dig into it. Forever. And that's why I, I love dig a hold of concept China. of the too hard pile, uh-huh. which is you just take like a biotech. Like I could get smart at it, but I have other areas that I'm more interested in that are part of what I've already learned. And, you know, sort of like it might be a great opportunity, but I don't understand it so so unless I'm getting in someone's sidecar that I really trust and I know, uh-huh. that's that's not my first choice. I agree. It's just so easy to just get fluff if you just don't drill down. You can drill forever. It's like that old story, drill to China, you know, with Bugs yeah, Bunny. Yeah, but it's also it, it's also this idea of of you think you know X and you do know X really really deep, and so therefore I should know Y quite easily, and so it's an overconfidence phenomenon and it's easy to fall prey to it. Like, well, I know a lot about enterprise software, so I know I must know a lot about consumer software. I must know a lot about biotech. Well, you don't right. unless you dig in. Got to dig in. And once you've dug in, it's like my life. I mean, I wish I was 40, but now that I'm dug in, I'm like, okay, you know, FinTech boom bust, but I know what I like in FinTech and I'm just going to keep massaging the personal investing stone until, until I'm dead. And the more I do that, the happier I get. It's not, it's not, you know what I mean? And then obviously like what Bill Gates done and what you do, you have to then just, once you drill into one thing, you find yourself having way more time and then you can get to the community stuff. Now, maybe I didn't grow up in a community household. That's just what, you know, Toronto was a great community, but I don't think my parents were that into that. So, so I guess Bill to have that early in his life must've been helpful. And you're saying you had the same thing with your parents. Yeah, absolutely. But the thing that was amazing about his mom was she had a superpower about people. Mm. And, you know, Bill was late to get this, but early on she said, you know, I'm going out to Meg Greenfield's house and this guy Warren Buffett's going to be there. You should go meet him. And Bill said, no, I don't. And he said, she said, no. So she knew him. She knew him. Yeah. And Uh so he flew over to the thing with a helicopter even and went to the meeting. And But his mom was saying, you know, there are people you want to meet, but also he watched his mom deal with people. And one of the great things about his mom and my mom too, 
is that when you talk to them, they were magical. They really listen to you. You know, somebody who really listens to you and isn't like looking to see who's behind you or whatever, like that's just so wonderful. And his mom was that way. And so that's why she got on so many boards and that's why she could get things done is she was a listener and a doer and she cared about people. And, and he learned that from her, uh, but also just the circle of other people who were around them, like Dan Evans, who the Senator, who was probably Bill senior's best friend and the, the whole mob of people that he was around growing up and that I had in my own circle, this was, a. Uh, uh, you know, a, su- a soup of nutrients where you could say, wow, you know, it's kind of like when you go to college uh-huh. for me, when I went to college, it was like, oh, I like this guy. I like the way he deals with people and the way he studies, but I don't like these things about him, but I'm going to grab those things. Like I'm at a grocery. I know that's why. And then this woman like, Oh wow, she's cool. And yeah. so you're, you're like, you're in the grocery store and you're picking these things. Like this is how I want to be a community participant and you know, whatever. And so for me, I meet somebody like Rich Barton. I say, wow, superpower, you know, is he Seattle too? I mean, what a, and he's Seattle, you know, yeah. And so Rich had a superpower too. And his superpower story was his superpower story was he had a thesis and his power to the people, which is he was in a situation where he was trying to make a reservation, you know, to, to, well, this to is do for, something. uh, his, for the, for Expedia. Yeah. And and he knew that this person that he was talking to on the phone had all this data and he couldn't see it. Right. And so he said, well, power of the people is I want to take that data that the, that the person had on this phone, turn it inside. I want to give it to them on a PC. That's Expedia. Yeah. That's turning it inside out. It's what baseball does with box scores. The more you give it out, the more the people just dig in. That's right. And so the, the whole, so Zillow, Zillow same was thing. that for real estate, Zillow you know, just sort of like thing. get people this information. Glass door, that, same thing. I mean, what a legend the guy is. Just yes, exactly. Formula. I mean, rich, rich, probably the Nick, best entrepreneur in the country. Yeah. And Nick Hanauer said, who's made his own billions, um, said about rich, he's, he's turned more, nothing into, into something more than anybody, you know, in terms of number of times, maybe, all of them together are huge, of course, but maybe not, not one of them is as big as one guy. But somebody who's successful multiple times, those people impress me. Fuck, when you do it the way he, like I saw Zillow, I was in a group text with Fred Wilson and a bunch of VCs, and I was like, we, Fred could care less about stocks, and I don't blame him. Because uh, like you, he does, like meaning he does one thing, Fred, like leave me alone. Like he's learned his lesson of, of flirting with other things. So, so I was like texting Fred during the panic. We're having this great group that I'm like, dude, I got, still has gone from 70 to 30. I said, guys, I hate to chime in about stocks while we're talking about sports and everything else, but like Zillow. And even Fred at that moment, like when I explained the fire sale, he was like, yeah, that's a good deal. And it was at 30 bucks. I think I ended up going to 25, but I'm like, you buy Zillow with that brand and that guy in charge. It's like, come on. One of the great experiences being close to all of this and living in Seattle was watching Amazon go through, you know, 2001. And you write about that a lot. So let's like, the numbers are crazy. The the, the numbers are crazy. And, and the the key thing about, uh, about Jeff is he, he understood the same thing that Craig understood and the same thing Michael Milken understood, which is, a real business is always about cash. It, it isn't about accounting earnings. And and Jeff always knew that he was going to have a, a great cash flow, even if reported earnings weren't going to be bad. And one of the things Milken did, which was amazing, was he said, hey, look, I can sell these bonds to people who understand 
you're not going to have an accounting profit, but you're but you have a ton of cash that you can show them. And so Milken enabled uh, Malone and and McGowan and McCaw and you know, Steve Wynn. You go down the list, Toll Brothers. But it's this key thing, this wonderful key thing that Bezos understands like deeply. And Joy Covey, his first CFO, helped him uh, write that famous letter he wrote. But like cash, you know, if you run a grocery store or a car dealer, cash. If you own like office buildings, I have a friend who owns office buildings, and he says I can tell you exactly what my cash flow is. Exactly, he said I have to wait for the accountant at the end of the year to tell me what my earnings are and and how much taxes are going to pay. You know, like great business people know how to focus on cash. Investors okay, should too, lesson. but they don't. They don't. It looks like people make fun of Warren Buffett. Goes thirty percent in cash. Like people are like, why don't I just you know clone Warren Buffett? I said, why don't you just clone the cash part at least? Like if Warren's thirty percent in cash, why are you in ten percent in cash? You know, like yeah, you it's, to, the, it's you, this you, thing that's so fascinating about him is he he fundamentally understands that cash is optionality. Yes, cash he is also cash. understands that you pay you pay a price for that. Like that's why Dalio's cash is trash. Oh. It was bullshit. Which is cash is optionality. Bookseller. You pay a price for that. Sometimes, like right now, it's good to have optionality. It's good to Hello. have a lot of ventilators sitting in storage, right? Hello. It's good to have yeah. a vaccine. You know, uh, organizations like Bill created with Gavi and and and. Uh, uh, that can, you know, react quickly. Yeah. And so optionality has value. I just, and Warren so understands that. And, and yeah. The one thing I copy about Warren is like, when I saw you at 30% in cash, I'm like, okay, well, the smartest guy in the world, he's not caring about underperformance. He cares about optionality. And, yeah. Cause, and, cause that, the, it's good to have cash in a crisis. I mean, I was re- like, you and I were reading Howard Marks today and it's like, I, I'm not a big fanboy, but I am a fanboy of, a coming fanboy of Howard Marks and I'm becoming more of a fanboy of Buffett, not for all his great sayings, but just, Hey, you don't have to copy his portfolio, but you can copy his allocation strategy. And yeah, that's uh, the hard thing for me in that. So, so I like the underdog and so, and those two guys aren't on Twitter and those two guys aren't involved in social media. And when I see someone attack them and their ideas, I feel like, well, gee, I better I better respond to them. And people say, oh, you, you worship what Buffett does. I said, no, I, I, I didn't. His IBM pick was bad. Airlines was, was something I didn't agree with. But you should learn from his process. This is the Malbison thing, which is, yeah. is the best process is what wins. And so learn from the best. Everybody makes mistakes. Nobody bats a 1,000. You don't have to bet a 1,000. But I sometimes get drawn into it like, well, trends the guy. Like, if they want to disagree with Buffett, they'll like copy me. It's like, I... I got drafted into this yeah. job. Yeah, no, no, you do it just because this is your, you treated a community like I do. It's a game. Twitter to me is just a game and it's my sounding board to sentiment. Like people go, why are you saying that? I just want to know what my readers, how much they like me today and how much they don't. You know, it's not because I'm un-American. It's just like, I'm just feeling the temperature. I mean, that's what, you know, I am the product. Twitter's making money off me. I'm entitled to use it any way I want to use it. You know, you don't use it for marketing. I use it for sentiment and to just get rid of my uh, loose thoughts. The, the, going back to the Bezos story, were you an early investor? I can't remember. No, I was not. I I was not an early investor, but, but it was one of these situations where, Jeff was going around the city, and I didn't get asked to invest in Got that it. seed round. Uh-huh. But um, uh, Tom Alberg, were you doing seed investing back then? Were you, actually, were you doing seed investing? I have investing? all friends who all invested. Got it. And so it's not as bad. Like, oh, I passed on the seed round. Got it. But these people are my friends, and I was I was close to that seed round. And I think it was 
it was one on four, I think, or something. I forget. Oh my lord, that's like the Uber deal. Yeah. Yeah, and one so there's four. Tom Alberg and and Nick Hanauer, um, and and these other people, people who were members of of a timber family, were all sort of early investors and Jeff's parents and all that. But 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 I was certainly close to it. Mm-hmm. It's funny because. At the time when these investments were being made, I think that was in '95. Yeah. But there's a Starbucks, and it's in Madison Park, where where Howard Schultz has his house. Uh-huh. And you, I would go there with this guy Keith Grinstein, who's passed. But we would go there at the time, and we would sit and we'd have coffee in the morning and talk about stuff and Nosh and all those kinds of things. But you could see the checks. You could watch. Just that them. was the place where checks were happening. And those days, people still, you know, it was not. It was more checks, right? Yeah. You could just watch it, you know, and sort of the the. It was building up. So 95, it had already had significant speed. By 99, you know, the place was like confetti. You know, there's and you just sit there and watch. And of course, I the other the downside of this is I know somebody who was asked to be in the Amazon round and didn't write the check. And those people have remorse. <laughs> Some people it became dysfunctional for because they think I got to invest in this one because I missed that other one, right? Yeah, and it can lead to a lot of extra bad decisions. People, yeah, I mean, there's so many investing lessers. Yeah, you can't be. Yeah, regret is a hugely powerful. Regret and FOMO are hugely powerful. I think Fred yeah, taught me a lot Yeah, sometimes you there. just got to realize that, hey, you know, everybody, everybody's got that anti-portfolio, right? The things mm-hmm. that you passed on. And that's that's okay. It's, I've got mine, man. I'm, I'm not. It's helped me. I think the Bessemer guys came up with the anti-portfolio, and I think it's it's so when investors can just wear that on their sleeves. Not, I'm not proud that I missed certain things, but I was in the game. You know, it's like bad. It's like baseball, right? Like you, they only hit 300, and they can be in the Hall of Fame. So um, it's kind of like that Kobe story where you know he lost the game, you know, the championship and all that, and then. He just went back to L.A. and said, next year I'm going to do it, right? And you feel, if you turn it around the, the right way. Mm-hmm. But it's also, I have this philosophy that I always want to be involved in whatever situation is going to result in me being able to tell the best stories that mm-hmm. I'm in. And that's a good test because you want to be involved in things that are interesting. You know, like there are some things that people people I know made a lot of money in but would bore the hell out of me. Distribution of X you know, whatever it is. And I like new problems. I like hard problems. I like complex systems, but some people made a lot of money distributing uh, vegetables. <laughs> and what, uh, how did you get involved with Microsoft? Well, obviously it was, uh, Bill senior, um, mm-hmm. was telling me, Hey, this company's moved up here and they're going to be big and the concert contracts were being drafted. And, and so I was involved for a little bit there, but then I said, Hey, you know, uh, this thing in Asia is super interesting. I want to go live in Asia for a while. So I lived in Korea for four years and Australia for a year. Wow. And that was just my, in my 20s, sort of like, I want to do something nuts. You know, I want to do something crazy. I want to go to Korea when it's a developing country. I want to live in Australia because I want to be able to surf every day. You know, all these these different experiences. But life is really about collecting experiences. And at the end... It's like Munger says, you know, what's an extra billion dollars to an old man? You know, so true. You know, like what can you do with money? You know, but what you can help people, you know, you can make donations and all things like that. But, you know, you want to have great experiences. Like you want to be able to tell stories and so and so did this. And, I, you know, one of the great things was being with working for Craig McCall, which is I got to go to so many meetings. So I met, you know, Milk and Malone. You go down the list of Richard Lee, you go down the list of people who, 
like super interesting and you were just there. And sometimes I feel like um, Forrest Gump in the, the, the ping pong yeah. episode in yeah. part when he was in China, you know, yeah. playing ping pong or whatever, sort of like you're there and you're watching history and you're going, oh, you know, this is, <laughs> this is great. Like be able yeah. to watch this. Yeah. It's like being in a movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's and why so Twitter if you tell good did, stories. Yeah. First person, it means you've had a fun life. Yeah, no, you have, and there's so many friends of mine that uh, I never get to meet, but I can live their life kind of vicariously. I mean, you bring that joy to your writing. And so when, who, who got you into writing? And I got to come back to my, I'm obviously, yeah, you, so, you got an interesting So my life, so great-grandfather was a judge, uh-huh. and he felt really bad for the Native Americans who had been had their land taken away. Mm-hmm. And, they, and they didn't have a written language, so he went around and he collected all of their stories um, to help prove their claims. And uh. so he started writing and then his stories were told to me as bedtime stories when I was a kid. And then I, and then I said, this is interesting and writing is interesting. And then the more you write, you realize the more you write, writing is thinking. And if you can't write it down, you haven't thought it through. And so the more you write, the more you want to write because that helps you think. And that helps you realize I got a gap here. I don't understand this. I understand that. And so it's addictive. The more you write, you know, so my 25 IQ blog, I wrote it every Saturday, six hours, 300 weeks in a row. And it was just a process of yeah. two things, clarifying my own thinking, but also sort of like, I better write this stuff down before I'm dead. <laughs> and so that's what I did. And it's but a, I had to do it's it on Saturdays. I've read them in real time over the years. Yeah, I've read them in real time. Did you put it into a book or they're just on 25 I, I, IQ? I, there are parts of it. They're in one book called Doesn't uh, Lessons for Entrepreneurs. Right. But, you know, the, the, I did a fundraiser for for hunger based charities, which is my biggest, uh, char- a charitable, uh, donation target. But, um, but the point here is that I've written a million, two words on that or mil- over a million words. And most people aren't going to read it. And you right. know, there are 4,000 words and all that. And so at, at a point I just said, okay, I got a million, that many words down. I'm going to really focus more on Twitter in terms of trying to teach mm-hmm. mini lessons because my joy at this point in my life is I want to be a teacher. Yeah, me too. And, 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 you know, if, if, if like they said to Buffett, what, what do you want on your tombstone? He said, want to be teacher, yeah. you know, put teacher on there like that. But it's the greatest thing that I can give at this point is to say, Hey, you know, I peed in an electric fence and I screwed up here and I watched this person do this and the lessons here and this can help your life and whatever. And, you know, some, not all my lessons are perfect. Um, I, you know, you may disagree with what I say, but you know, I got a lot of scars. I can teach some. You do. Yeah. yeah so that's, t- the, that's the joy is, 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 you know, like telling stories is great. Oh, the best. Some people aren't great storytellers, even though they were there. So that's, that's a, that's a shame. You know, it's bad luck for them. Uh, but you can tell stories for them and not embellish them too much. And they appreciate that too. So 25 IQ, the, um, and, and so Microsoft, you went back after Macaw to go work there. So, well, what, what, what happened was in, in 2002, um, I'd realized that the Spectrum game, the, the game was to acquire as much Spectrum as you can okay, and buy it cheap. And then and eventually people would want to buy it from you. Mm-hmm. Operating a, a, a cellular a mobile network provider is a tough game. Mm-hmm. And it requires a lot of capital and margins are thin. And I realized the opportunities were gone. So in 2002, I said, eh, software is going to be my bet. And I was going to go join a company in, in the Bay Area and I had to tell Bill who I had a relationship with because I'd been involved in some things that he invested in with Craig. And he said, no, no, you should come to Microsoft because this will be perfect for you because 
you'll be able to do big stuff and think and help us transition from a software company to a services company in 2002. Oh, so he, he actually did this? see the services thing. It just took oh, forever yeah, absolutely. to happen. Got it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And so I'd sort of known it. I knew about CAC and ARPU and, and lifetime value and, I'd seen that kind of the business and wow. how do you acquire customers in the right way and how do you scale systems and all that. So, so it was beautiful, but it's also a place where we have like the equivalent of Bell Labs at Microsoft Research and there are all these smart people. And sort of, it's so fun <laughs> to be around smart people. And we were talking about Twitter. The funnest thing about Twitter for me is the DMs because somebody comes to you in a DM and you, you how do I, what I, why would this person want to talk to me? You know? <laughs> I'm the same way. And, and I'm saying, you know, how would I have met this person? How, and we're having, a, I'm having a conversation with this mind that I'm just saying, whoa, this is cool. <laughs> and, and the DMs are the greatest part of Twitter to me. Well, because you get, it's not the greatest part for someone who projects misery, but for people like you and I who goof around, we, our DMs are gold because people aren't pissing on us. They're actually surprising us with their talent. And we're surprised sometimes at the quality of people that hit us up. Yeah. And, but also diverse people, like, you know, could be a mathematician or could be somebody else is sort of like, they ha they have skills and, and, and talents and I don't know. And so it's sort of like, it was 1994 and I was working in a place called Carolyn Point, which is in Kirkland. And right next to that is, is a guy named Michael Larson, who, who runs money for um, Bill. And he was on the board of the company that I was working with. And he said, you know, I want to, you to meet this guy, Michael Mobleson. And, and, yeah. you know, and then I want you to read these, these books. And I said, okay, I met Michael. And then Michael said, oh, well, there's this guy, Bill Gurley. He's a young analyst that I work with. You should meet him. Oh, they worked so together. I met those two guys he in like together. 1994. It changed my life. Oh, I thought he was young. I thought he was much younger, man, Boosin. They were both analysts at CFSB at the same time. Wow. And Mobleson was covering consumer, uh, Foods, I think, or something like that, and and Gurley was was early, early, you know, was an early guy doing as an analyst for for the PC industry in San Fran or in Seattle. It, oh, it was in Gurley moved from to Texas. New York for a couple of years and worked for CFSB, and Mobison was there, and they were buddies. Got it. And so Gurley and I used to talk, and then I used to get above the crowd by fax. Wow, this was before the internet, you know, because the internet really. It came to businesses in 93, you know, people, you know, it was like, there were, there were some internal systems and there was AOL, but you know, the true interoperable internet where you could send your newsletter out. But I got, you know, I got above the crowd by facts and I loved every issue, but also these guys, they, they like, when I want to read a book, I asked Robinson, you know, uh, you know, guy, guy loves books more than anybody I know huh. and truly loves books. And so they're so broad and if you want to know what to read, those are the guys to talk to. Got it. And then he, and he shares all the time and he's on podcast now with Galloway, but he's, he's, he's NYU professor now. Uh, he is a Columbia professor. He, Columbia. He's taught Columbia. securities. Uh, is, he's taught a class called securities analysis or right. something for, for 25 years, but yeah. he's just a big thinker and a writer and so careful. Like when you, when you hear an interview of him, he never misses a word. He's so like on huh. point. And, and I, I just love that. But also I love the fact that he's curious, like curious people are so interesting, mm -hmm. but also that he's broad. Like it's fun to read stuff that you don't know about. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Even like some of the smartest people I know, it's a little dangerous, but 
they're digging into to to COVID nineteen just yeah. because it's interesting. Yeah. You know, epidemiology is interesting. Now you can make you still got to leave things to the experts, but it's still interesting to know. You know, is immunity going to grant it? A, uh, uh, for how, but how, for how long? What's the chance of mutation? All this stuff, the math behind all this stuff, the modeling, like the modeling is amazing that people are doing. Yeah, and it's and it's, it, so it's fun to watch. But you shouldn't fool yourself that you're an expert. But it's still fun to learn about. And so you're full time at Microsoft. So it's been almost twenty years. It's been eighteen years. Yeah. And 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 eighteen wonderful years because so I know you many sound smart happy. people. Yeah. You know you you just you learn you know you're learning about microservices or code or whatever. And then there's all these people at Microsoft researcher or just in some of the product groups, we have over 2000 data scientists, Um, you know, so interacting with these people, you can just learn all day long. And most of the time you learn that there's so much that you don't know. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, if you're not, if, if the more you, the more, you know, the more you should know that there's more you don't know. Yes, sir. And, and that gap, you know, it makes you smart because you know, where your limitations are and where there's risk and where it's all that. So, so learning is just so much fun. It's just so much fun. And it's, it's a puzzle. Do you have like business is a puzzle. Business. About, do you have kids? I do. How old? I, I uh, in late twenties and, um, uh, they're both, you know, sort of, uh, they, they know their dad is like not normal, like <laughs> very not normal. And so they're definitely different people, but, you know, they're both in the technology industry and, and, um, they, they, uh, are their own people. And I love that. Are they in but Seattle? The biggest, or thing, the biggest thing is I hope that I've taught them judgment because yeah. that's the most important thing. Yeah. Like and having are they in judgment. Seattle? Are they in Seattle? Yeah, they're both in Seattle. But the thing that, the thing that they're just so sick of is, is my whole thing about, you know, probability and magnitude, the, the Buffett thing, but the whole thing of negative optionality, which is like, when they were young, it's like, look, you know, even if there's a tiny chance that someone's going to run into a tree on the way home, you don't let your friend drive you home drunk. And, you know, that's Charlie Munger's point about, you know, don't race uh, trains uh, to a crossing. Don't, you know, sort of stay away from those situations where you have Increase as, your chance as, of death, yeah, for no Yeah, reason. but also this asymmetric, you know, small upside, big downside. You know, Sam Zell says it beautifully, you know, it's like when you got a business deal and you got a small upside to big downside, you run, right? Yeah. And the, and the flip of that is what you're looking for right now is a big upside and a small downside. Yeah. The hard thing is when you have a big upside and a big downside. That's that's when things get dicey. And what have you learned about the, that thing? Just stay away, big upside, big downside, just not worth it. Yeah, because because if it's like I love the the Munger opportunity cost approach, which is if you have enough opportunities, which are small downside, big upside, do that, mm-hmm. right? And 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 stay away from the big upside, big downside because they're just luck and like take you down. Yeah, but it is easier to do both if you have the barbell and you have the one side that says everybody's going to eat and you're going to not be a burden to your children when you get older and you can, you know, help the community out. If there's a, you know, it's like having that, that those T-bills of the safe stuff allows you to take bigger risks and have more fun and, you know, just relax. Your sphincter just relaxes. 
The old relaxing sphincter. You and I know that. The yeah, old I, 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 I threw that in prostate because I know you know that me. That it's very topical for you. Yeah. Right the, sorry about that. The, the two more questions, <laughs> and I'll let you go. The first question is: Do you remember the first time you panicked? And and do you was it a good thing or a bad thing? I was going down a hill on my bike, a really steep hill, and the chain fell off of my bike, and I had no brakes. Oh, you hear that, and that's death. And, and I was going about 40 miles an hour at the end, and I went off a cliff at the end, oh. like E.T., and I went out down through the top of a glass greenhouse. And there was no YouTube and, back then, so you didn't even get the upside no, There was nobody that. watching. I almost died. Yeah. And so, so that was like my first, you know, sort of, I had moments where- Because you saw miles an hour, that you couldn't control the end game there. Yeah, exactly. Oof. And what about money? Was there a time where you just like, I can't believe I barfed at the wrong moment? Because people are, you know, I, I bring that up because that's the topic of the show. Do you remember ever panicking financially around a trade yeah, or an investment? Panicking financially for me would have been um, when I got back from Asia and I realized that I wanted to have a family and I was, I was, I'd basically spent money like a grasshopper uh-huh. until I came back to the U.S. and sort of like, okay, now, now I have to change change my consumption you know i can't just when they live in asia it's like hey let's go to phuket or you know let's go to you know mongolia or whatever it was sort of like live like a grasshopper but i had to become an adult with money in 2008 and it wasn't really panic it was just sort of sort of like eh, it was kind of panicky it was just like now i gotta do it yeah now i I can't be a grasshopper anymore got it and so the and then let just quickly about the future. So you're inside Microsoft. You've COVID. I mean, COVID is kind of a, a relentless in who it attacked in terms of business and people, uh, or is you know, and there's lasting effects. So what's on the other side that you're excited about? I'm super excited about the fact that um, it's a it's a super powerful phenomenon that is going to propel the world forward and it's going to be positive. And, and it's sort of like, I don't think, I think five years out in, in greater. And so I I agree with Bill Gates that until we have a vaccine, things aren't going to be normal or back to the way we think about it. But even if they aren't normal, things are still going to be okay. America is still going to prosper. The world's still going to prosper. We're going to get past this, but a vaccine is super important and a super impacting event about about the way I live. We live our lives in terms of right. filling up football stadiums and you know going to NBA finals and all those sorts of things. A vaccine really, really is important, really and I'm good point. S- super grateful that uh, that the Gates Foundation is on that. That. We need we need that vaccine. You're right. Nothing. The vaccine is like winning the war at this point. You can't win the war without the vaccine. Right. But 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 even if we don't have the vaccine, life will go on and we will cope with it. Humans adapt. Mm -hmm. And that's why I like the uh, the Howard Marks thing about cycles, Mm -hmm. which is they always reverse. Like we will we will get past this. It will be great. It's just a question of how it will be great. But we will adapt. That's our species. We will adapt. Life will be good. And is there a book you're reading right now? Um, right now, like? I'm reading mostly papers. Yeah. Um, okay. White papers. You know, the the there's so many there's so many things right now in 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 real time. the research. Yeah. Yeah. It, one of the great things someone said to me recently, which is, medicine is going through twenty what normally would take twenty years in months, and so I'm just sort of digging into that, and I'm trying my best not to opine, but I sure want to know about it. 
because it's just so fascinating. So I'm reading a lot of papers that normally would have to be refereed and it would take years and like things are happening in months. We just don't have time. And yeah. so fascinating time to read research papers. Okay, this is fantastic. And your favorite movie of all time? Uh, Year of Living Dangerously, weirdly, mm -hmm. but it, I don't know if you know the movie, but I'm trying to think. Obviously, Mel I know the name. Who who is in the movie again? This is Sigourney Weaver and and oh, Mel Gibson. Yeah. You know, during that time of Suharto, and if you lived in Asia and you understand being under a dictator and the the heat and the pressure and being an expat and all that, a lot of my experiences of living in Asia are wrapped up in that movie. So so I love the drama in it, and and it's a wonderful movie. But most people wouldn't think it is. But I love it. And who's your favorite band? Um, it was probably the Allman Brothers band. I like um, the Allman Brothers. I listen a lot to yeah, Allman. It, it, the, the reason is when my very first concert was in the eighth grade uh -huh. and Dwayne Allman was still with a band. He had he died a couple months after that. But I saw him play to, in front of 500 people as my very first concert. Uh -huh. And so, you know, that's sort of like, I thought, are all, is this is what music, is this going to be, are they all going to be this good? Yeah. You know, he was playing the slide guitar, and I was like 10 feet from him, and there were 500 people there. And, you know, it's like, I don't know what year this was, but it was the year the Phil Maurice album came out. But Dwayne was still alive, and Greg was there, and there were, you know, it was it was the full band, and it was just amazing. So I went to concerts after that that weren't as good, but that was just so, so, such a wonderful thing. Chocolate or vanilla? Uh, I'm chocolate, yeah. And scotch or tequila? Tequila. See, I mean, we're friends, man. This is not bad. I got to have you. Hopefully I didn't piss you off and we can do another one of these. Oh, I'm, all, I'm, I'm always game. You're, a, uh, you know, you, Patrick O'Shaughnessy, a good conversationalist. Well, I appreciate your time and know uh, everybody's going to appreciate this. So I'll, I'll make sure that uh, I link out to the blog and uh, I really appreciate your time. And, and you are a teacher. I can say this as a student of yours that uh, you've opened my eyes more to the Munger, you know, because of respect for you, I, it's opened my eyes to the Buffett Munger thing. I'm trying to personalize it for myself because I don't like, like you, I like new things. I don't want Coke and McDonald's and Gillette, even though I own McDonald's right now. So I'm like, I'll take, I'll take what I learned from him. And I've learned that from, from following you and reading the essay. So I appreciate it. Very good. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye. Fascinating guy. That might've been my favorite. Fascinating guy. Selfishly, that was my favorite. <laughs> Sean Park, Roger, JP, Fred, you know what I mean? Like good. it felt like I knew him. Right. Yeah, I'm going to have to have some You guys have actually never him. really met in person, have you? Yeah. No, we have never met in person. What a humongous brain, huh? I uh -huh. forgot to ask him about Seattle. What is it about Seattle? Right. What a, what a place. All that weather. You know what it it's is? The weather. The People are inside. They're like, fuck, that's raining. Let's build something. Right. But I don't you think it's I mean? the weather that keeps them there. Well, it's I mean, be something else. you know, San Diego, like when I did San Diego, no one wants to fucking work. It's nice outside. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think that's an edge about Seattle. It's like, you know, well, you'll go out when it's sunny once a year or in two months of the year. So you might as well work the rest of the time. Anyways, did you enjoy that? Yeah, I did. Really? He, uh, it's, it's interesting to hear about all his experiences, all the people has crossed uh, his paths with. Like not bragging, it's just he's living his life. He's right. like in the batter's box. His whole life has just been like a fucking good story. Mm -hmm. All right, do you want to uh, run your personal service thing that we're doing? Yes. 
I so will, uh, so Knuton is helping out and has uh, some ideas around uh, protective gear and stuff. So he's going to uh, mention it here at the end of the show, and and we will see everybody in next time on Panic with Friends. It's almost impossible to find protective COVID gear these days, not just for you and I, but also for the big buyers. Even state governments can't get their hands on PPE supplies. Through my best buddy Stein back in Norway, I know of a large Chinese supplier of FDA-approved gear that's ready to supply big quantities. So if you know someone in need of critical PPE supplies, please have them email me at this address, covid.stein at gmail.com. That's C-O-V-I-D dot S-T-E-I-N at gmail.com. And I'll give them all the info they need. Just so you know, Panic With Friends is not making any money from this. This is purely a way for us to help put people in contact with each other. It's social leveraging at its best.